0: Um, just I'm assuming there's no elder update today. All right, I guess not. Let's jump into it. Kids program. <laughs> um I guess at this time the the youth and kids are dismissed to go to our awesome kids programs. So thanks for chilling. Um all right, so my name's Ewan. For those of you that don't know me. Oh, and I guess before I jump into that, happy Mother's Day again to all the mothers out there. Um cool. So yeah, my name's Ewan, and I am part of the teaching team here at Discovery Church. Today we are going to be looking at um, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 17, and we're going through our eight-week series on uh, the book of 1 John. This is week two. If you guys don't have a Bible with you this morning, uh, if you guys want to just raise your hands, uh, one of our ushers will gladly bring you one. And if you don't have a Bible at home, please take it home with you. That is our gift to you. So before anything, I just want to kind of jump into the text this morning. Um, I'll read it to you guys here. We will have the pieces of the text eventually on the screen, but in terms of the text in its entirety, it's not up there. So um, if you guys have Bibles or you have your mobile apps, just go ahead and follow along. And I will read this here. All right, 1 John chapter 2, and I'll actually start in verse 1, just for the context, and we'll go to verse 17. My little children... I am writing these things to you, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. you guys pray with me real quick? Oh, Heavenly Father, to come before you this morning, we just thank you um, for Sunday mornings when we can gather together um, as one church, as one family, and just worship your name and sing your praises, God. Um, as we look into 1 John this morning, we just pray that your spirit be the one at work here. God, that you would just illumine this text for us, that we would know your heart. And see the beauty of you, Lord Jesus, all the more. Oh God, that is our prayer this morning. And would you do that good work? Praising Jesus' name. Amen. All right, for you, you note takers, if you have the um, notes there, one note you'll see that the application section is really long. Um, the note section is not to scale. So if you're trying to save space and um, expecting a ton of application, the application section is actually going to be really short. Um, We're going to spend most of our time just kind of walking through the text this morning. All right. So, you know, last week, uh, Pastor Jeff did a great job kind of introducing us to the series, right? And one of the key things that Pastor Jeff asked was the question, how do you know if you really know someone, right? How do you know if you really know someone? a picture up here. Does anybody know who that is? Yes, thank you. All right. Um, Brian Dawkins. He is my favorite football player. He is retired now, and I can tell you a good amount about him, right? He played for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's a pro bowler, never won a Super Bowl. I can tell you that uh, he goes by the nickname Weapon X, that his favorite Marvel character is Wolverine, I can tell you that um, he prays throughout the football game, and he prays for himself and over his teammates while he's playing football, right? I, I know a good amount about this guy. But if I were to say, because I know a lot about him, therefore he's my friend and I know him, I think you would all tell me I'm dreaming, right? Like I've never met him. And this was made so clear to me one day when I was watching the Eagles playing a football game, and I get really anxious when I watch my team play, It's one of the few times in my life I actually stopped talking. And I'm watching them in silence, and I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? And, you know, my wonderful wife, Joy, looks over at me in this anxious state, and she's like, you know, they don't even know you exist, right? (laughs) And I I thought about that for a moment, and I was like, whoa, like, they don't even know I exist. Uh, It kind of took the joy out of that game a little bit, <laughs> but, right? But there's something really true there, right? The difference between a fan and a friend, right, is that a fan knows all about someone. But what makes them a friend is that they know each other, right? Friendship is a two-way street. And I think the question for us this morning is, are we fans of Jesus? Do we just know a lot about Jesus? Or are we friends of Jesus? Because he knows us too. Right, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that on that day there were many who will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Right, church, I think that's the scariest thing, is to think that we know Jesus when we're actually just fans, and he doesn't know us. But there's good news, right? And here's the good news. God doesn't leave us wondering if we know Jesus, right? He wants us to be sure that we know him and that he knows us. He wants us to be confident in that. And this is why John, the Apostle John, was writing this letter of 1 John, is because he wants his audience and his readers and us as the church to have assurance about whether or not we know God and He knows us. And He wants us to know because when we're confident in that, then we can live in the joy of the Lord and have our joy made complete in Him. That's why He's writing this. So, let's look at chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. Chapter 2, verses 3 to 6 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so John here is trying to make very clear for his audience, right? That he wants them to know that they know, to have assurance. And he's giving them a test, right? He's going to tell them, this is what it looks like to know. This is how you can know. And so, our main idea this morning is this that knowing who you are in Jesus necessarily changes the way you live. Okay? Let me say that one more time. Knowing who you are in Jesus necessarily changes the way you live. You see that throughout this text here from verses 3 to 6, right? That if we know him, we keep his commandments, right? Um, that if we know him and we're abiding in him, we walk in the same way Jesus walked, right? It changes us. Now, in the following verses 7 through 17, John's going to give us a couple litmus tests, right? a couple tests here to help us farther understand what does it look like to abide in Jesus? What does it look like to really know him? And I want to be very careful here, right? Because whenever we use the word test, especially in a uh, overachieving town like Davis, I think we immediately think, oh, like I'm going to get an A plus on this Jesus test, right? And we think about achievement and trying to gain something. And that's not what kind of test this is at all, right? God does not give achievement tests because the whole idea of being saved by grace through faith is that Jesus is A plus covers us, and he's taken our failures and sins upon himself, right? It's freely given. So what kind of test is this? It's a litmus test, okay? Um, It's a test that's, when it says an if statement, right, it's talking about two things that are simultaneously true, and it's asking the question, right? It's not an achievement test. It's a test to see what is the true nature of our reality. That's the kind of test this is. Does that make sense? To make that clear, okay, if you guys, I'm going to take you back to high school chemistry real quick, right? What is a litmus test? So I have here some unknown substance. Um, And a litmus test, again, it's not an achievement test. It's simply to figure out what this is. Is it an acid or is it a base, right? Um, And the if statements work something like this, right? Now I have to remember this science-wise. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so if this is a base, then the blue paper will stay blue, right? And if this is a base, the red paper will turn blue, right? If this is an acid, the blue paper turns red. If this is an acid, the red paper stays red. Do you notice the kind of if statement I'm using here, right? If this, then this. Simultaneously true statements because the test reveals the nature of what this is, right? So I'm going to go ahead and stick the blue, blue paper in here. Oh, I'll start with the red. Okay. Okay. It didn't turn blue, right? So I know this is not a base. I'm going to go with this one. Okay. It turned red, right? So I know this is an acid. It's that simple. This is vinegar. But... All this litmus test did was tell me what the substance was, right? It's not an achievement test. It's merely revealing to me the reality of something. And I bothered to take the time to do that because this is super important. I want us to remember this, right? That was always acid, right? The test didn't change what that was. It merely revealed what that was, right? In the same way what John is about to give us in verses 7 to 17, these are tests that do not make us children of God, it reveals that we are children of God. Does that make sense? So let's jump into this. So the first point here is actually that we should be careful of false tests. Now, why do I say that? I say this because if we understand the context of what is being written here, John, the Apostle John is writing around the year 85 to 90 AD, right? He's an old man at this point, and he's writing to third-generation Christians who have never personally met Jesus, right, in person, physically. And there were these, this false teaching that was coming up, this early seeds of Gnosticism, that was basically telling these third-generation Christians that in order to really be Christian, in order to really know Jesus, they needed to have this secret knowledge and this secret experience. And that's what really knowing Jesus was about, right? And so these Christians were getting confused And John was writing to them to reassure them of what it means and what it looks like to know Jesus. And so I think it's important for us to recognize what John does not say are the litmus tests. Notice that he doesn't say it's about, you know, having perfect theology and having everything figured out. Notice that he does not say it's about feeling on fire all the time. Notice that he does not say it's about, you know, having all of your spiritual disciplines in perfect order, right? I say that because I think sometimes, especially over 2,000 years of church history, it's easy for us to start making important but peripheral things the main thing, right? It's easy for us to think that, man, if I just really know, you know, all about the Bible, therefore, I must be super solid in my walk with Jesus, right? Or it's easy for us to sometimes doubt because we start wondering if we're not feeling on fire anymore, And we're pursuing that feeling, and we start to wonder, do I really know Jesus? And we start to question, right? And so the litmus test that John gives us, right, he focuses on two things. The first is that we would love our brothers and sisters. Let's look here at verses 7 to 11. He says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. because the darkness has blinded him, has blinded his eyes. All right, so this is litmus test number one, right? Do we love our brothers and sisters? Now we're going to break this down a little bit. So first, probably the first question you're asking is, okay, so John says that it's a new commandment, but it's also an old commandment, so it's not a new commandment. What is he talking about, right? When he says this is old and not new, what he's saying is that actually if you go back and read Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18, right, it says there that we should love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself goes way back. And that's exactly what John says here. Right? You've had this commandment. It's not new. It's the word that you've heard. It's been in the Jewish law all the way back to the beginning. Right? But he says at the same time, It is a new commandment that I am writing to you. So what makes it new? Well, Jesus, in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, says that a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. And so Jesus is saying there's something new about this. What's new about this? What's new is that the darkness is passing away. And the true light is already shining. Okay? Now, the true light, Jesus is the true light, right? Uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 9, says that Jesus, the true light, has entered the world. Chapter 8, Jesus says that he is the light of the world. Right? And so what makes this commandment new is that Jesus makes it new. There's two ways that Jesus makes this new. Right? The first is I think Jesus raises the bar, because he sa- doesn't just say love your neighbor as yourself. He says, love one another even as I have loved you. Right? Now, how did Jesus love us? Unconditionally. He gave everything for us and went to the cross and died for us even while we were his enemies. Right? That's how he loved us. And Jesus is raising the bar here. And he's saying it's new because that's how I want you to love one another. I think the second thing that makes this new is because the light is already shining and the darkness is passing away. What is that talking about there? It's talking about the kingdom of God. Right? That when Jesus came, he came to bring the kingdom of God and he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? That the darkness is already being pushed back. And whereas you know, in Leviticus... Love your neighbor as yourself was one law amongst the broader law. This law here that Jesus is giving us, right, to love one another, this command, this is the heartbeat of the economy of God's kingdom, right? That love and grace is the building blocks and the very foundation of God's new kingdom. And it's new because this new economy has been ushered in by Jesus, right? That it's pushing back the darkness, So, there's one other thing here that I want us to notice, is that in this litmus test, Jesus is specifically talking about, or John is specifically talking about loving your brothers and sisters, right? Do you guys notice that? So, he uses the word brothers here, um, adelphos, but it can be applied to both brothers and sisters, and it's talking about fellow believers, or fellow believers. Now, we know throughout scripture, right, that we are called to love all people, right? But I think there's something special as a litmus test of what it looks like when we love our brothers and sisters. Why? Because there's something special about family, right? Think about it. You can choose your friends, but do you get to choose your family? There's something messy about family, isn't there, right? Like you can have siblings and maybe you guys are super similar and you get along great. Or maybe you have siblings and you guys are polar opposites and you don't get along at all and they're annoying, right? And they do things so different from you And it doesn't matter because you're brothers, because you're sisters, right? And you're called to love one another anyways. I think about, you know, my little nephews and, you know, when when I'm hanging out with them and they're playing a game, right? And the older one says, oh, but I don't want to play with my brother because he always screws up the game and he's annoying and he doesn't know what he's doing, right? As a parent or an uncle, right, what do you say to that? You say, I understand, but he's your brother, right? Or I understand, but she's your sister, right? There's something about family that trumps the inconveniences and the messiness. And I think that's exactly what John is calling us to here, right? This is the litmus test, that we would know that we truly are brothers and sisters if we're children of God. And if we truly are brothers and sisters, that we would love one another. And John's pretty harsh here, right? Look what he says if we do not love our brothers and sisters. He says if you do not love your brothers and sisters, or right, if you hate your brothers and sisters, you're still stumbling around in the dark. You're blind. Why is this the litmus test? Again, if you think about the if statements, right? This is the litmus test because we cannot say, I don't want to love my brothers and sisters. Like by saying I don't want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're essentially saying, I don't want to be in the family of God. Right? They go hand in hand. They're inseparable. If you understand that you are a child of God, then you understand that fellow believers are family. And if you understand their family, then you understand Jesus' call and his new kingdom that we would love one another as he loved us. That's litmus one. Let's take a look at litmus two. And we're going to jump down to verses 15 to 17 for this. abides forever i think the first question for us here is what does john mean when he says the world right Um, it's the word cosmos and it's used in you know for a variety of ways depending on the context here i don't think john is talking about you know planet earth right i think we're very clear that you know god loves the planet that he created the idea of cosmos here actually conveys, comes from the verb cosmeo, and it means to put things in order, right? It's where we get the word cosmetics, like when you're doing makeup, you're putting things in order, right? Um, I don't know. I, um, and so that's kind of the root word of it. And so the way I'd like us to understand when it says the world, I want us to look at this from the perspective of the world order. Right? It's the way in which things are ordered. And what we see here is that there is a contrast between the way God created the world and how it's supposed to be ordered and the way humanity and our sinfulness has taken the world and made it to be ordered. Okay? You'll notice here that John says um, that all that is in the world. He gives three things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is how he describes the world here. And it's really interesting because this actually parallels um, the fall and the original sin back in Genesis chapter 3. If you look back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Sweet. I'm going to read this. It says, So when Eve saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. But what we see in that passage right there, right, is three things. Esau, that it was good for food, desires of the flesh, that it was pleasing to the eyes, right, um, desires of the eyes, right, and then that it was good to make one wise, right? And earlier, Satan had tempted her by saying, if you become wise and you know the difference between good and evil, you will become like God, right, the pride of life. And so what we see in this pattern that John is trying to set up here is he's saying that the things of this world, the order of this world, is fallen. It's contrary to the way God had created it, where God is the one who provides, and we trust in God, and we don't try to usurp his authority. It's contrary. Now, I know it's easy for us when we talk about the world order in this way to think of like really extreme sinfulness, right? Things like murder, um, you know, and, and things of that nature, right? But I think it's more subtle than this, right? 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And I think there's an underlying current of the world that actually subtly is at work in kind of everything we see around us. Think about it, right? What is kind of the primary ethos and spirit of our day and age today? Isn't it my needs, my wants, my glory, right? And do you see how that right there parallels the the challenge here of desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and pride of life? When you look across social media, to sports, to career, so much of what the world celebrates is exactly my needs, my wants, my glory, right? And I'm not saying these things are bad, right? Like, I'm on social media, I play sports, and I work, Um, but there's an underlying current here that we need to be careful about, right? And the question is, what do we love? What do we love? Now, I think whenever we talk about not loving the world, it of course raises the question, what am I supposed to do then, right? Am I supposed to disengage from the world and not engage? And no, in fact, just the opposite, right? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, right? That when you, God saw the brokenness in the world, he sent his son to redeem the world and to do something about it. And then similarly in John 17, he says that we, he's sending us out into the world, right? And so, we definitely need to engage the world, but the caution here is that we not love the order of this world. Now, why is this the litmus test, right? So, I think loving one another, we kind of get that, right? But why is not loving the world the litmus test? It's because of this, right? Jesus has overcome the world, and the world has hated him. John 15, 18 says that the world hates you. Know that it has hated me before it hated you. That's Jesus talking. John 16:33 says in the world you will have tribulation but take heart I have overcome the world. Right? And so here's the idea, you can't serve two masters, right? If you love the one, you will hate the other because they're diametrically opposed, right? If Jesus has overcome the world and then we go and love the world, that just doesn't work, right? Think about it. If I have an if we're at war and I have an enemy, right? Who hates me, and then a buddy of mine goes and allies himself with my enemy, that's called backstabbing me, right? In that exact same way, that's why we cannot love both the world and Jesus. They're incompatible. It's the litmus test. So as we're talking about these things here, hopefully as we're running through these litmus tests, right, you're thinking, you're thinking, right, how am I doing in terms of loving my brothers and sisters? How am I doing in terms of not loving the world? And if we're honest with ourselves, I think we might realize that perhaps we struggle with that, right? John, as the author here, recognizes that. And the point of these litmus tests isn't to leave you, you know, depressed and discouraged, just the opposite, right? The point of these litmus tests is to point us to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. the point of these litmus tests is to say, look, if you're not living this way, maybe you've forgotten who you are. And let me remind you who you are. And that's why between these two litmus tests, he sandwiches this beautiful poetic section from verses 12 to 14. Let me read that for us. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Now, in this section here, right, there's a lot of debate around who exactly is John talking about. Why does he say little children and fathers and young men? Um, commentators are kind of across the board on this. I'm going to focus here on the centrality of it, of where all the commentators can agree, which is this. What John says here, he's saying because he wants to encourage these believers of all ages, right, of all walks of life, men and women. And he wants to encourage them about who they already are because of Jesus. And he says it twice because it's that important. I notice some of the things that he says here. Right? That our sins are forgiven. That we know the Father. That we know him who is from the beginning, okay, God. And that we have overcome the evil one. And actually throughout First John, we know that he's saying this to all, to the entire church, to this entire audience. Because he actually repeats these things um, throughout First John and he applies them more broadly. And you guys can see the verses up there. I'm not going to read them all for us this morning. But my question to you is this. Do you believe what this says about you? If you're in Jesus, do you believe that these things are true of you? John bothers to say the exact same thing pretty much twice because it's that important. Because he knows that as people, we tend to forget the good news of the gospel. We tend to leak gospel. And we need to be reminded constantly, all the time, every day, of who we are in Jesus. Now this is a legit question here. How many of you guys have seen the movie Lion King? Alright, pretty good. Um, so if you haven't, I think it came out in 1995, so major spoiler alerts. I'm assuming you don't plan on watching it. Um, but there's something here, right? If you guys know the movie Lion King. You know, Simba, this lion cub, um, his father is the lion king, Muf- Mufasa. Right? Simba is, you know, at a, messes up at his young age, and it, his father basically gives up his life trying to save him. And Simba feels so bad about that, that he runs off into the jungle. And he grows up in the jungle, just kind of living this wandering vagabond life. And he's an adult now, and he's the rightful king, Right? But he feels so bad that he's like, I can't go home. And I'm just going to hang out in the jungle. And this is one point in the movie, like the turning point, where his friend, Rafiki, right, shows up. And Rafiki's like, your father's alive. And I can show him to you. And so Simba runs and chases and follows after Rafiki. And Rafiki's like, stop. Look here. And so Simba goes down. And he looks, and he sees his own reflection in a lake. And he sees a dejected lion who's been running, who's messed up in life. And he shakes his head, and he says, that's not my father. That's just my reflection. And then Rafiki touches the water and says, look hard. And all of a sudden, in classic Disney fashion, that reflection changes into a reflection of his father. And then the skies open up, right? And his father's booming voice speaks out and says, you have forgotten me. And Simba's like, father, I haven't forgotten you. How can you say that? And he says, you have forgotten me because you have forgotten who you are. And then his father says, Remember who you are. You are my son. And that there was the turning point in the movie, and Simba goes back, and he lives differently because of it. Right? And I think that's what John is trying to remind us here today, is as we look at these litmus tests, maybe we realize, man, we've messed up. maybe we realize, man, we're struggling. And sometimes when we see that, we run from God. We run from our father. And John puts this section here because he wants to remind you of who you are, right? That we not forget who we are, but that we are God's son, that we are God's daughters. That is who we are. And these things are true of us. So let's close with this application, right? Again, it's short. All right, positive feedback loops, right? The way this is supposed to work here is a positive feedback loop. The question for us, right, as we look at these litmus tests, do we, how are we doing loving our brothers and sisters? How are we doing not loving the world? Does that drive us then into a deeper remembrance of who we are in Jesus? Right? And maybe, maybe if you've grown in these areas, and it's good, right? Awesome. It's still a confession of, man, Jesus is the one that has changed this in me. And I do know him. Sweet. Right? Or maybe you're struggling in these areas. And the thing for us this morning is, wow, have I forgotten who I am? Maybe I need to go back and remember who I am in Jesus. But as we remember who we are in Jesus, that has to change who we are. Right? Because it gives us the confidence that Jesus has accomplished salvation for us on the cross. That we are covered by his blood. And again, I look back to the main point that knowing who you are in Jesus that necessarily changes the way you live, right? And this cycle here should be a constant cycle that's driving us and changing us. And it all comes back to who Jesus is and what he's done. And as we live this life with him and remember who we are in him, it takes us deeper and deeper into the confidence that we know Jesus and that our joy can be complete in him. Now I will say this, perhaps you're here this morning, and as you're looking at these things, you're saying, hmm, maybe I don't know Jesus at all, and maybe Jesus doesn't know me. I want you guys to know that this is for you too, right? That God's invitation is for you to come and to know him this morning because of what Jesus has done. He says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no secret knowledge, no secret formula here. It's about coming to our Father in heaven, about coming because he's inviting us to be his children this morning. Okay. All right. In a minute, we're going to spend some time in communion. And as the worship band comes up, I just really want to encourage you guys to take this time to reflect on these things. That as we look at these litmus tests and what it looks like to live as a child of God, my hope is that it would drive us into the heart of the Father and what he's done for us. And that as we come to the communion table, that we would remember who we are. And that that would transform us constantly. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, as we come before you, we just recognize our own messiness. And we recognize your good calling and your sweet commands that we would love one another as you have loved us, that we would love our brothers and sisters because you have truly called us children of God, that we would not love this world because the broken, sinful pride of this world is fading away and that you're doing something new. God, we see that that is beautiful and good and we want to walk in that And at the same time, God, we recognize that we fail and we struggle. And so, God, we thank you for your amazing grace. We don't deserve it at all, but you, Lord Jesus, have conquered sin and death, that our sins are forgiven, that we can call you Daddy, Father, and that we can come and be with you. And so, God, we ask that your Spirit would just remind us this morning of who we are in you, that if we've forgotten But we've never known you, that we would hear your voice calling to us and that we would remember who we are because of what you have done. And may all glory go to you this morning. Pray these things in Jesus' name.